It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. Well, a couple of uh, very important parts of that introduction there, uh, mentioning the important role that uh, the uh, Defense uh, attorneys play in our legal system is, is critical. We learn that each month here on Liberty and the Law. And, of course, respected attorney James Dore is a phrase I heard, and that is uh, the gentleman who keeps things moving for us on this podcast. I'm Jim Mitchell, but um, having James Dore with us is what's essential. And um, today James is going to help us as we kind of talk about the role of the appellate court in the judicial system. It's obviously a important part of honoring the rights of individuals who are facing criminal charges. And uh, we've had an opportunity to discuss appeals in various cases during this podcast. Today we turn to the uh, appellate court in the 3rd District of Illinois to review a very recent case. And, of course, uh, Attorney James Doris Lavelle Law is here. And, James, this this is a case that, uh, you know, was decided upon just a few months ago. I look forward to discussing it with you. So um, hopefully this is one that uh, you're looking forward to talking about as well. Well, I am, Jim. Uh, thank you for the, those kind words and your nice introduction. And, uh we get to look at some appellate decision, and the, the, the important role of the defense attorney is kind of illustrated in how uh, the attorney, the trial attorney in this case, handled this case and brought it to appeal before he finally was vindicated on, on his point of view. So it does show the importance of the defense attorney uh, remaining vigilant in these cases. Well, that's that's a great point, and we're going to dig into that a little bit as we talk about State versus Michael Kaskowski, which uh, – Compared to some things we talk about here, had had what I would call some something of a benign origin. It appeared to be a simple traffic stop in the suburbs. What can you share about the case uh, and its origins? Well, it's, it is it, it does stem from a simple traffic stop, as many of these cases do. But you can, as you can see by the case number, uh, it is a felony case. So the um, the uh, trial court, the attorney filed a motion. Um, to suppress evidence, and we've talked about that on our show before, and, and uh, you know, certain case law like Terry v. Ohio um, in our previous podcast. But it, the, the defense attorney filed a motion to suppress evidence. In this case, it was a probably a white powdery substance that you'll find in a lot of these kind of cases um, that led to a felony conviction, um, a short jail, uh, jail term of I think 38 days and 24 months probation. So the defendant was trying to appeal uh, his conviction for a felony conviction that ultimately stemmed from a traffic stop uh, for an improper lane usage. And, and I really you know, want to talk a little bit about that uh, motion to suppress. As you mentioned, we have talked about it a number of times, but I don't know if we've talked about the mechanics. So as a defense attorney, walk us through what it takes to file a motion like that. What's the intent and how do you go about it? Sure. Well, it all starts with the review of the case. So we want to sit down and talk to our client, review the police reports and any of the discovery uh, that, that's the, the evidence that the, the prosecutors have. We want to sit down and review that 
and where appropriate, file motions with the court. Now, motions have to have a, 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 a you have to have a, a faith belief in your in your motions, or at least a, 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 <clears throat> a clear basis for the motion. It can't be frivolous. Um, mm-hmm. But the tool is it's a motion. When he wants something to be uh, heard in the trial court, the attorney files a motion. Uh, the judge. Uh, make sure that uh, all the sides are, are given notice of a hearing date. And then a hearing date is set where the judge can hear the evidence, hear the standards of law, and decide whether or not the motion should be granted. In this case, the motion to suppress evidence, um, the defendant is asking the trial court to suppress the evidence. In this case, it was some amount of drugs. that was a, a felony amount of drugs. And asking to suppress that because the initial stop of his vehicle was not reasonable. And that's something that we looked at under the Terry v. Ohio uh, precedent before, mm-hmm. the reasonableness requirement. And, and actions that the police officers take must be considered to be reasonable under the Constitution. Now, and it's interesting this, you know, many of the cases you share are, are fairly lengthy in, in terms of the court uh, response and, and their ruling. This was, was rel- relatively brief, uh, short, I should say. I shouldn't use the word brief uh, here. But when when you hear the facts of the case, traffic stop uh, for improper lane usage, then the contraband is found. You know, my initial reaction is, okay, well, the defense is challenging the search. They didn't. They were challenging the traffic stop itself. What, what did you think of that approach to this? Well, that's, that, that's appropriate, and, I, and that's why you have to do it this way, because uh, the defendant saying the initial stop of the vehicle was improper because under the code, the um, turn signal is not required to be on for the 100 feet like it would be if you're approaching an intersection. So this dealt with a lane change, and a defendant had, I'll say smoothly in one continuous motion, had left the left turn lane, traversed across two middle lanes into a right turn lane, which was an exit from the roadway to an, off, to an on-ramp onto Route 53 here in Illinois. Um, this was a Bolingbroke uh, police officer making the stop. So it was a continuous action. And the officer made the stop saying um, that the, the turn signal was required for at least 100 feet between each one of these lane changes. So when this got to the appellate court, I agree with it, Jim. This, this is a pretty short mm-hmm. case, which to me means it was kind of a slam dunk. It was easy. There was no uh, 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 maneuvers that needed to be done to make this thing fit a precedent or make the facts fit. It was pretty much of a clear case for the appellate court of, the turn signal is not required in this case. The initial stop was not reasonable. Therefore, the search that stemmed from that stop is also unreasonable. And the product of that search, the, the drugs in this case, need to be suppressed, which means the prosecutors can't use that as evidence in their case. So they say they mm-hmm. want to charge somebody with a drug offense, but they can't use the drugs themselves. So it's a little hard to prove, not impossible, but much harder for yeah. the, for the prosecutors to meet their standard, uh, their burden of proof. Well, it's very interesting to see the appellate court actually just weighing in on the difference between traffic laws, you know, a lane change to an off-ramp as opposed to an actual turn from one street onto another. Um, you know, you don't really find sort of basic laws like that being reviewed in cases like this. Now, what about, um, as you said, what led to that you know, the terms we often see are a reasonable, reasonable suspicion or probable cause for that traffic stop. And the defendant's claim here was, hey, you know, the officer had neither of those, right? Right, right. It, it, basically, the, 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 the defendant's claim is the stop is unreasonable because it's not a proper interpretation 
of the law. The law is clear in this case. The, for a minor for a lane change, the signal is not required for 100 feet, um, and therefore, it, you know, the, if it's an improper stop because it was an improper reading of the law, and mm-hmm. like I said, then the, the the resulting from that stop, that evidence gets suppressed. Got it. Okay, well, we're, we're talking with Lavelle Law Criminal Defense Attorney James Doris, who do every month here on Liberty and the Law. And each month we take a look at a specific case, maybe an aspect of the criminal defense system or a particular law. Uh, today it's the state of Illinois versus Michael Keskowski, a case that was recently heard by the Illinois Appellate Court in the 3rd District. And we really enjoy the chance to kind of dig into some of these from time to time. Um, often when we do, we look back to constitutional law. Um, James, some time ago, uh, you and I discussed the Fourth Amendment and whether or not it applies to traffic stops. Can you kind of revisit that conversation briefly for us, too? Right, and this, this kind of this is uh, brings up some some part I should have mentioned in my last uh, answer with with the uh, reasonableness. Um, in this case, the officer needs reasonable suspicion to stop a vehicle, and the reasonable suspicion was that the uh, defendant violated certain traffic laws. Well, as it turns out that, uh, you know, in fact, those viol- those traffic laws were not violated. So the officer's basis for the stop was deemed by the court to not be reasonable. So reasonable suspicion would be, um, you know, with the facts available to the officer at the moment of, of the stop, warrant a man of reasonable caution, action taken was appropriate. And in this case, the appellate court is concluding the action taken was not appropriate because the stop itself was not appropriate, was not reasonable, uh, it doesn't meet the, the requirement of reasonable suspicion because it, it, it was not a reasonable stop. It was a, 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 a misappri- uh, misapplication of the law, and in that case, mm-hmm. the officer was wrong, and you know it was not reasonable. His his um, claim was not reasonable. His search was not reasonable. The stop was not reasonable. The the appellate justices in writing this used a term that I hadn't seen before in in all the cases you shared with me, and it was. Uh, I believe they referred to it as a mistake of the law. And uh, in in discussing this with you, I I think you've indicated that um, police officers have some leeway in terms of, um, you know, if they misapply a law. But clearly in this case, uh, the justices didn't agree. Is that mistake of law? Is that something that you encounter in terms of uh, rulings from time to time? We do, Judge, uh, Jim. And in a lot of the cases, um, the, the mistake of law, is is on the heels of okay. Let's it, it, if the officer's actions again. They're trying to see if they were reasonable. If an officer has a, a, a mistake of law that's reasonable, say a, a statute that's you know ambiguous or a little unclear, then the officer you know could could still be under that reasonableness requirement, even though ultimately it was you know it could have been an improper uh, stop. But you know it's one of those things that. Uh, again, it's all in the term of Fourth Amendment analysis of what's considered reasonable or not. And in some cases, when the, the court looks to uh, see whether the exclusionary rule was applied, um, in this case, again, going back to Terry versus Ohio, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the officer's uh, actions are reviewed. And if, if a mistake of law is considered reasonable, then that could get around that Fourth Amendment problem. The, the, the evidence wouldn't necessarily be suppressed. Um, because the officer was not acting unreasonable. But in this case, because they viewed the statute as being unambiguous, right, there's, there's no requirement for that turn signal with 100 uh, uh, feet that the officer thought was the case. So it was an unambiguous sta- uh, statute. So his misinterpretation of it was deemed by the appellate court as being unreasonable. So 
you know, the state tried to get around a little bit saying, okay, it's, you know, he may have made a mistake, but it was a reasonable mistake. So the, so the evidence shouldn't be suppressed, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're saying there's no conduct to fix by excluding this evidence. Again, going back to that exclusionary rule we've talked about in prior podcasts. So in this case, it was unreasonable. Again, the mistake of law in in the interpretation, you know, uh, relying on a, on a statute uh, was considered to be unreasonable because it was a mistake of law that was not reasonable in this case. It was a unambiguous statute. So that, that mm-hmm. claim by the state did not carry water. Let's uh, let's go back to the statement you made at the beginning of our discussion today. You were complimentary of the defense attorney uh, in the way they presented the case and, and managed the information from the very beginning. Um, talk about that a little bit again in terms of how a good attorney um, you know, follows through on this from start to finish. Right. I, in this case, the attorney did a great job. He uh, reviewed the, the, the police reports, uh, held a hearing, and put the uh, video of this stop as part of the evidence in the hearing. And ultimately, that video would have been published to the appellate court, um, and they would have reviewed the same evidence that the trial judge got to review. So by you know, crossing T's and dotting those I's, this trial-level uh, attorney made sure that the appellate court had all the uh, information they needed that was brought out at the hearing and all the arguments that the, the defense counsel made, they were set up for the appellate court. So, again, great job, great, great, you know, sticking with it, filing that appeal, going forward. I give the client credit for wanting to go forward because um, sometimes people don't always want to you know, spend more time in court and spend more money on legal fees to do things yeah. like this. But, you know, ultimately uh- – Justice prevailed. Uh, about a minute left here, and I'm going to just, you know, here I am a novice in all of this. The only thing I'm surprised by with this is that, uh, you know, the, the the appellate court agreed, but they didn't um, dismiss the case. They just remanded it back to trial again. Now, is is that what you would have expected in this type of case? Uh, there may have been something that the office, that the appellate court wanted the trial court level uh, to decide. So there may have been some other issues. And the state, again, they, they, they looked at this, it, it wasn't completely dispositive of the case for whatever reason. So they sent it back with some instructions to the prosecutors of, hey, figure out whether or not you want to go forward on this. But um, they can't, the evidence is suppressed. So they will not be able to use the, the drugs that were seized in this case as evidence in their case in chief. Well, um, always great conversation. James Dore, I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, you can Track down James, get more information by visiting lavellelaw.com. Uh, phone call away at 847-705-7555. Um, he'll share information with you on a number of different uh, uh, types of criminal defense and different areas that he has practiced over the last couple of decades. So, James Dore, thanks for being with us. And, of course, everyone who takes time to listen to this podcast, thanks for making that time. We're back each month. We've got a good, good collection of past podcasts that you can also find at lavellelaw.com. And uh, we'll look forward to upcoming conversations as well. Thanks, everybody. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.